What's up, y'all, and welcome back to Found Bites, a game review series. My name is Brian, and I'll be your host. If you don't know about us, we're all about testing out and finding small, high-quality video games. This is a podcast that aims to respect your time and money as a gamer and a consumer by sifting through storefronts and sales to find the gems that may be worth your precious resources. If you're interested in reaching out or helping out, Feel free to email us at foundbytesgrs at gmail.com, tweet at foundbytesgrs, and also rate and subscribe to us on whatever podcast feed you're using. Also, don't be afraid to leave some comments. If you're a developer who would like to participate in our Spotlight interview series of special episodes, please reach out through any of our channels. We would love to hear from you. But enough about the show. Let's get into our next game. Sparklight is the game for this week's episode. Sparklight is a top-down action-adventure game. Some comparable games. So you're going to see a lot of similarities with 2D Zeldas, top-down Zeldas like Link to the Past, Minish Cap, and then also, because of that, similarities with Under Dungeon, which is a game we've done before, and also Bastion, which is super giant games that made Transistor, and some similarities with Rogue Legacy. The game was initially released in November of 2019 on PC, Mac, PS4, Xbox One, and Switch. And then there were versions that were released for iOS and Android in, I believe, November of 2021. The game was developed by Red Blue Games, which is a small studio in North Carolina. I think it's mainly just three guys. Uh, Two of them are brothers. I think they're actually twins. Um, So their website is kind of cool. It tells a little bit about them. The game was published by Merge Games, and we've talked about Merge Games before, so some of the other games that they've published are like Atagami, Skull, Morbid, and Darkest Dungeon, most of which we've covered on this show. And the mobile versions were actually published by a studio called Playdigis, and they've also published a lot of mobile versions of other indie games such as Dead Cells, Uh, Little Nightmares. It's interesting, though, because uh, looking on the Red Blue Games website, I don't see them advertising the mobile versions. And while I was looking up this game, I did see a review in the search engine from a site called Pocket Gamer, and I think they mainly do mobile uh, game reviews. And this game was not getting a good rap for the mobile version, so I don't know if there's some kind of issue there that Red Blue Games is not really... Uh, about the mobile versions, so I don't know why there's mobile versions. I don't know if that was like a merge games thing. Anyway, it seems to uh, be a good idea to avoid the mobile versions of this game. The game did have physical releases. So Signature Edition, a website we've talked about before, had a release of PS4 and Switch when the game launched, and those special editions came with like an original soundtrack, an art book, uh, like a certificate that was numbered, and some pins. The game also had a standard edition, 
uh, with just the box for PS4 and Switch. And this you can find pretty much anywhere, like Amazon, Target, and also Play Asia. So I'm not sure who, who exactly that came from. I think Signature Edition and Merge Games kind of have like a special relationship. The game was released with an MSRP of $24.99, and that Signature Edition was released for $49 US equivalent on Switch and $43 on PS4. And then the box retail that you can pretty much find anywhere is going for $29.99. But I did look, and on Play Asia, it was originally released for $29.99, just a normal box version, but right now it's half price at $14.99, so I don't know how long that'll last. In terms of how long to beat, the main story could take about 9 to 10 hours, just if you're kind of cutting through, not doing any extras. But if you're trying to do everything, get everything in the game, you could be upwards of like 15 hours if you're a completionist. Me, I got this on sale on PSN, so I've been playing it on PlayStation, and I got it for $7.49, so a nice deal there. And I've put in probably about four hours, maybe a little more. Uh, I did beat the first boss, and I'm into the second area. Um, in terms of recommendation, no one really pointed this game out to me. I just kind of saw it on the store on sale. It looked cool. Uh, it's got like a pixelated vibe. It's super colorful, but it definitely reminded me of a lot of old uh, Zelda likes. So I gave it a try. Let's talk some gameplay. So like I said, this is a top-down action-adventure, much like the original Zelda games, uh, Zelda 1, Link to the Past, Minish Cap, and primarily you're going to be walking around and you're going to be killing enemies. So you're going to have a melee attack and you'll get other types of weapons or items uh, that can do damage to enemies, but other than that, you're going to be opening chests to get things, you can cut grass, you can hit trees and you'll like receive things and we'll talk about the currency in this game. And also in this game you have like a dash move. So if an enemy is like swiping at you or coming at you, you can kind of dash out of the way. Um, and you can also use this to like jump across gaps or, or pits in the landscape, which is pretty cool. But primarily the big comparison to those older Zelda games is that this is like a screen to screen movement game. So like you'll go to a screen and there'll be like an up a down, a left, a right to go to. And then when you look at the map, you'll see that essentially it's just squares. So as you populate, as you go to areas on the map, like you'll see the square and then you'll see like, oh, I can go here, I can go there. Um, so let's talk about general progression in this game. The game has these mini kind of gated areas that are kind of like biomes. And you'll see it on the map once you start to populate the map or see where it is. So each biome has like a name, like you're going to start in an area called the Vinelands. And this is like an area that's maybe like 10 to 15 of those square screens. And each biome is going to have a boss and you'll have to find it and fight it. And then once you beat it, you will like get some kind of item or maybe you'll get a mechanic so that you unlock to a different area. And if you're looking at the map, like you'll see where you can't go. 
like the areas that are blocked off. And as you're in the world, you'll actually see signs uh, with arrows that say like this way to uh, the Golden Woods or this way to this area. Um, and it'll be blocked off until you get the mechanic or the item that allows you to unlock that. That creates sort of like this ever expanding map so the area that you'll start, the biome that you start in is like the middle, and then you'll see the access to all the different areas. And each of these biomes or areas have like specific locations or landmarks in them that are on specific uh, squares or screens. Uh, we'll talk about what those different landmarks are. But what's really interesting about this game is that the layout or the arrangement of these screens or these squares on the map is actually procedurally generated and not like what screens are in the biome or what landmarks are in the biome, but rather like the sequence of them, how they connect. And this is very similar to a game called Returnal, which is a game on PS5 that has similar things. Like you'll know specific rooms when you walk in if you've seen them before, but like the sequence of them on the map can kind of be changing depending on um, how they're arranged. And so this is something that is similar to roguelike games. However, the developers of this game are pretty adamant that this game is not a roguelike, and I do agree with them, and I like that they said that, especially because I'm not really that big a uh, fan of a roguelike. Um, but also, like, labeling things as roguelikes is a bit elusive because uh, there are a lot of different aspects of it. So it does have some aspects, this procedural generation, but what's interesting is that with procedural generation comes, like, a reset, and so there has to be a way that you reset the map, and that happens by dying. So when you die, and you will die in this game, essentially that counts as like a run. And when you die, you actually get pulled up to the hub world. And we'll talk about what's in the hub world. And then once you get back to the hub world, you can do different things. You can go to different places in the hub world. And then you can kind of go back down to the world and do another run. Again, I don't think this game is a roguelike. So what's interesting about doing these runs and dying and going to the hub world is that you really don't lose anything. So there are certain consumables called widgets that you will lose, but everything else you pretty much keep. So the currency that you get, you're going to keep. The different weapons that you have, you're going to keep. Like the badges and all that stuff. So I feel like this is really good uh, because it's less stressful with dying. Like you're not losing. It's not like a like a Dark Souls thing where you're losing all your souls or, or currency or whatnot. So in that aspect, it's not really roguelike because you're not like totally resetting. It is part of the gameplay um, and part of learning, like dying and doing another run. And it's also part of the mechanic of getting back to the hub world. I think it's a very interesting choice to have the map kind of reset and resequenced in this procedural generation. I don't really know why that is. I think it's maybe to keep it fresh and like not know exactly where you're going or like not have to keep treading the same path. And I get that, and that's nice. But other than that, I don't really see too much of a reason for that. So let's talk about some of the things that you'll get in this game, some of the items and such. So most of the time, you're going to find a lot of things in chests. So you'll like walk up to them and just open them. Uh, you can, like I said, hit trees, and things will fall out of trees. Sometimes it'll be the currency. Sometimes it'll be some of the items or consumables. Uh, there are shops in the hub that you can buy things from. And in some of the landmarks or some of the locations in these areas, like you might go in and you might find a chest or you might find an enemy that you kill them and you get something or something like that. So one of the things that you'll get are these consumables that are called widgets. These are the only thing that you're going to lose when you die. So when you have them, it's pretty wise to use them, like if you need them. And some of these are just going to be buffs for combat, like healing, 
uh, like raising your attack for a short amount of time, raising your defense for a short amount of time. Some of them will be like AOE damages or buffs or, or things like that. And so using them is pretty important. And when you get them, you'll probably get like three at a time of one particular one. And you can only equip one type. So if you have like five of, of a healing item, like you can equip it and use it a couple times until you run out. What's interesting is to use it, you actually have to hold the button. And so this can be a little tough in like a boss battle um, because you do have to hold it and wait till like this meter goes all the way around. Uh, it only takes a couple seconds, but you can't move while you're doing it. So there is some strategy there about like when to use it because you might have to avoid an attack. And you can have up to eight different types at once in your inventory. There's like an eight slot inventory. Um, so again, another reason to uh, really encourage using them. Something else that you'll come across in this game are badges. And badges are really cool. You can equip these and you have like a set amount that you can equip. So this is very similar to Paper Mario. Uh, the first two Paper Mario games, if you've ever played them, like you'll get a certain amount of badge points. And so you can equip that many badges although some badges might take two points some might take three or more or something like that so it's something similar here except the badges that you equip are like space based so you'll get a badge that takes up like one square or one that takes up two or one that takes up four so you have to manage like how you arrange your badges so that you can fit everything that you want to and this can get expanded and we'll talk about upgrades but you start with like a perfect nine square so like three by three the different badges you get in the beginning especially are like one square but um, it's really cool to like pick and choose and customize which badges you want to have and some of these will like increase your max health uh, increase your attack increase your defense um, and of course these are different than uh, using the consumables because like if you have this badge equipped your attack will be up the whole time some of the more helpful ones will be like being able to consistently see the area map even after you die and reset and go back down. So this is what's interesting with the procedural generation is because some of the landmarks or some of the buildings that you might need to go to, they'll be in different places. But if you have like a map equipped, you can always see them on the map. Something else you'll find are different weapons. And these are called gadgets. And these are different than your typical melee weapon. Like she has a wrench that she uh, swings, so that'll never change. But these other things, these gadgets, you can actually equip two at once. And I'm playing on PlayStation, so the melee button uh, is square to swing her wrench, but then triangle and circle are reserved for different gadgets that you have equipped. So you kind of have a nice arsenal, especially with like the consumable ones that do damage. Like you, there are a lot of options for combat and, and how to deal with enemies. What's interesting about the gadgets is that you have to get a blueprint for the gadget and then you have to craft it in the hub world. And how you get these blueprints is also pretty cool because when you're in a biome, one of the landmarks is going to be like a shrine and you go in the shrine and the shrine is for a specific gadget. And so what happens is you'll go in the shrine, you'll see the gadget, you'll get to use it, and then you'll have to go through like a demo trial. And it's kind of just assessing like your ability to use this weapon. So it's letting you try it out. And then when you complete that demo trial, like you'll get the blueprint and then you have to go back up to the hub and craft it and, and whatnot. So some of the gadgets that you'll get early on in the game, like you'll the first one you get will be this crossbow. Uh, so you can just shoot arrows at enemies. And then you'll get like this remote bomb blimp. Once you release it, you actually control it which can be a little tough because you're not moving your character, so you're susceptible to getting hit. Being able to use these gadgets uh, requires you to have the energy meter full, 
or at least have enough to use it. And so if you look in the top left corner of the screen, you'll see uh, your hearts, which are your health. And then below that will be this energy meter with a certain number of dots on it. And so this is very similar to A Link Between Worlds, which was like kind of the successor to A Link to the Past, where you don't have ammo in, the, in that game, you just have an energy meter. So no matter what gadget you have equipped, it uses this energy meter. So you don't have to worry about picking up ammo. However, if you don't have enough energy in your energy meter, you won't be able to use the gadget. But I like the mechanic here because you can repower or regain energy in that meter by hitting enemies. So you might have a certain gadget that you need to like clear like a block or get to an area like the bomb blimp, like you might have to blow up a, a big rock. But if you don't have any energy in your meter, you might have to go to another screen and kind of attack enemies. Uh, there are also widgets that you can use, like the consumables, to just like refill your energy meter if you get those. Also, as you progress through the game, you will have like this floating companion, and they will gain abilities and be able to do things. And this is a little bit a part of like beating a boss and progressing to a new area, so you might get a different weapon like gadget you might get a different ability for you or your companion so anything that might unlock things and also there's currency so as you're killing enemies as you're cutting grass hitting trees you're going to get a lot of these gems called sparklight and these are the currency and so you're going to use these for just about everything and the main location where you're going to use these is in the hub so let's talk about the hub uh, the hub is kind of like this floating area above the world. And so I see a lot of comparisons with like Skyward Sword. Now, obviously, this is a lot smaller, but if you've played Skyward Sword, like you go up to like the normal town where you live and grow up, but like to go down into the game and the dungeons, like you have to dive down from the floating world, which is like the hub. Also, very similar to Bastion in a lot of different ways. Bastion has like this hub world that has different parts or areas that you can like access things. Similar to Bastion, some of the things you'll access will be like different shops in different corners of the hub. Uh, also, you can talk to different NPCs. And primarily, what you're going to be doing here in the hub is buying things from shops but also upgrading the shops themselves. And again, this is very similar to Bastion. You're populating the world, like you're building things up. And also some similarities with a Skull, which is a game that we found. Sometimes you can upgrade shops, but also sometimes like you'll have to find NPCs in the world so that you have access to shops in the hub, which is something that Skull does. You will have a widget shop in the hub but you need to like find the guy and basically once you find the guy like you'll be able to get different widgets like he'll just give them to you uh, whenever you go back to the hub so it's kind of like when you die and reset you'll have access to consumables before you even start the next run so some of the ways that you can upgrade these shops is really good so the widget shop like if you upgrade it like he'll have multiple different widgets that you can take on your next run which is nice you can upgrade the badge shop so that uh you can have more space in your badge allotment which is really nice you can actually also fuse badges together of the same type which is really cool that's another way to save space and be more efficient um, there's also a shop where you're crafting your gadgets. So once you get the blueprint, you have to bring it to the gadget shop and craft it on a workbench. But you need to upgrade the shop so that there are more workbenches. So when you get the crossbow, that'll take up a workbench and you can't like craft something else until you get another workbench. So with that all in mind, the cycle of this game basically is you're going to go down to the world, you're going to do a run probably collect a lot of this currency, maybe even find a blueprint, uh, maybe take a swing at the boss, 
probably die your first few times and then you go back to the hub you'll use that currency maybe you'll buy some badges maybe you'll upgrade some shops so there's a nice cycle here especially with the customization of like different badges different widgets and then using your different gadgets with combat again it's kind of quick and and stressless because when you die you don't really use anything um, and it wasn't like belaboring like when you go down it's not like you have to venture through all this stuff that you went through again the first area the violence is only 10 to 15 screens so it's not like you're really traversing that far what's interesting is when you beat the boss though you do go back to the hub but you didn't die so you actually keep all your widgets so you can get like some nice momentum after you beat a boss and really kind of go head first into the new area and so again once you beat that boss you do access a new area but also you'll have access to like a different mechanic that might open up like small things, chests that were available in that old area. And so it is good to kind of backtrack a little bit. There's not that much backtracking. You'll probably remember like, oh yeah, I saw that screen that had this thing. And now I know I can do that so I can get that chest that was on the other side. Some of the area features, like some of the different biomes, one is going to be like the location of the boss. Like it's just a room that you go down into. And you'll see things similarly, like you'll see like a mine that you can go into and this is kind of like an enemy rush like there's a couple different floors and you just have to beat them all and then at the end you'll get a chest and then you'll leave the mine uh the shrines that we talked about where you'll find the blueprints you'll also see things like wells sometimes in like a cave or sometimes just like in the middle of a screen that you can go down uh, and maybe find a chest in there so there's a lot of exploration and again these will pop up on the map if you've seen them it's just that their orientation or their location might be different on a different run. You'll also find NPCs. And there might be some mini quests uh, regarding NPCs. Like there are these two explorers that like if you find one of them, they're looking for the other one. And then so you find them both and tell them where they are. And then they wind up back in the hub. There is a mini quest with collecting these like beats, B-E-A-T-S, which are like these little, I don't know, beings, almost like Junimos from Stardew Valley. And that's like a more of a, a metagame kind of bigger thing. It's not area specific. There are a bunch of these in the game. I don't even know how many, but I'm kind of interested in seeing what happens if I get all of these throughout the whole game. And actually on the map, it tracks like how many are left or how many you found in each of the areas. Some of the enemies that you'll see, very typical Zelda. Some that shoot projectiles, some that rush at you, some that can do both. I was a little hesitant about seeing a lot of similar enemies, but once I got to the second area, I saw that, oh, there's actually some real good variation and also ramping up of difficulty, so I like that. And also bosses in this game, I think it's fine. You're gonna die the first few times you try to get at the first boss, but just patience and perseverance. They seem tough at first, but if you're just patient, uh, again, if you're a Zelda veteran, I think you'll be caught off guard at the challenge at first, but I think you'll adapt pretty well. talk about the vibe of this game let's start with some visuals so this is super pixelated 
and it has kind of that top-down view. So again, very similar to Zelda, but graphically, I'd compare it more to like Skull, the Hero Slayer. Very bright colors in this game. Most of it is outdoors. There's not really deep dungeoning. So again, the view is very similar to like A Link to the Past, and even the colors are very similar, but there's not a lot of depth in the dungeons. Like you're really going inside um, maybe just to fight a boss or just to jump down a few levels and fight some enemies and then leave. The map is very helpful with the landmarks. So you'll know which one is the shrine, which one is where the boss is, which one is like a mine. And so when you look at it, again, if you've seen them and you have the map badge equipped, like you'll see where they are uh, in a procedural generation, even though they're in a different place. When they're on the screen, shops and buildings are very distinguishable. How extensive uh, some of them are visually is really nice and, of course, colorful. In terms of character animations, like your character, she does this thing where, like, if you change your badges out or if you open a chest, like, she'll, like, stare at you and give, like, a peace sign or something like that. And when she's sitting there, like, she's, like, breathing. Like, you can see her kind of bouncing up and down. You can see her hair flowing. And also similar with the environment, like, the trees and the grass. Like, you see things kind of moving with the wind and whatnot. Things aren't really stoic, which is really nice in uh, a pixelated game to kind of have that life to it. In terms of audio, I really like this music. It's really nice. It's really pleasant. Some of the tracks are adventurous. Some are calm. And I like how they match the areas. I got into the second area, and it's kind of very... The music is very calm, and it has, like, a very fall look to it. It's got, like you know, browns and auburns and reds. In general, I'd say the music uh, is pretty in tune with like Final Fantasy. So if you like uh, a lot of tracks from Final Fantasy games, whether four or six or even like eight or nine, you'll see some similarities there. Uh, and pretty good sound effects. Uh, the characters themselves don't make any noises or, or speak, but they're like enemies that'll like grunt before they charge at you. So that's a nice indicator. Um, and also like your weapon sound effects are pretty distinctive, like swiping the wrench or shooting the crossbow. In terms of narrative and thematics, there is some stuff to this game in terms of story, but it's not really over the top. It's not really in your face. There's some vague environmentalism because Sparklight comes from this planet and it's like, you know, use it responsibly or like it's not being used in certain, you know, particular ways. So like this idea of saving the planet, uh, not quite as explicit as like Mother Earth, but just kind of being conscious of that. There is one building in each area that's kind of like the chest game in uh, Link to the Past. Like you go in and you pick a chest and, and whatnot, but it's called Monty Hall. So it's like the Monty Hall game where you pick one and then he opens uh, one of the empty ones and you can swap it. Um, I think I played that game like five or six times. And every time I switched my chest and there's only one time that I lost. So I think it's pretty true to the percentages of probability. And there's sort of some light character to this game and some of the NPCs and your character. There's not even that much dialogue. And that's fine. Like, I'm fine with that. If you're coming into this game expecting, like, some deep story and some deep character and, and progression and growth and stuff like that, you're not really going to see it. Um, there is, like, a wholesome vibe to the game, and you feel it with the music and the character and, you know, some of the animations. But in general, it's pretty muted. And for me, that's fine. The focus is you're playing through the gameplay. Like, the story and the narrative are just, like, kind of flat and kind of there, and it's fine.
said, let's wrap up the conversation about Sparklight. I think this is a nice game. I think that there's quality and depth in the gameplay. It's nice for a hack and slash adventure, top-down game, Zelda-like. I like the customization. I like the different gadgets that you can use. Combining that with badges and using consumable widgets. It's not really stressful in terms of dying. You're definitely going to die more than if you're playing like Link to the Past, especially if you're a veteran. I do like the environments and the music. It's very calming as a game. It's not kind of stressful. It's not dire. Again, there is some of that wholesomeness, but it's a bit muted, and that's okay. I don't think stories need to be the forefront of every game, but I, again, like that you can kind of jump into this game. You don't have to think too much. And there's no, like, forgetting what to do or where in the story. It's just, like, you go down, and it's like, oh, I have access to this, or, oh, this is locked, I can't go here. In terms of value, 25 bucks for this game, I think that's a little steep. I think this is a great $15 game. And if you can get it on sale like I did at $7.49, which I have been seeing it on sale for that a lot, I think that's a great sale price. Leave it up to you in terms of what your interests are and what type of games. But I think there is value here, and I think it's nice. Uh, the game does have a lot to offer, a nice pickup and adventure type game, so I definitely recommend it. Alright, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Stay tuned for our next episode to see what new game we found for you.